I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 5, or alternatively, it is printed in the bulletin, but I'll start reading at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, It's not that long. Then we can keep it in context. But we will be focusing on verse 6, very specifically. Matthew 5, let's begin at verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May God bless it to our hearts and minds this evening hour and on into this week. And let us ask him to do so. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless this portion of your word that we have heard, a rather familiar portion, and yet help us to hear it as if for the first time, namely with that sort of attention, and grant that with our minds we might understand it, and with our hearts we might receive it, and with our lives we might bear fruit from it. Work in us and through us, we pray, for your honor and glory, as well as our own good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Beloved congregation, the author John Updike once remarked, America is a vast conspiracy to make you happy. Whether or not he's right, that's what we and all our neighbors want, isn't it? To be made happy. We, by nature, hunger for happiness or for great and pleasurable experiences to that end. To quote a description of the baby boomer generation that rings true for every generation, we insist that every experience be a watershed, every meal extraordinary, every friendship epochal, every concert superb, every sunset meta-celestial. That's what we want, what we hunger for, thirst for. And yet, no matter how much happiness we have known, or how many great and pleasurable experiences we've had to that end, we're left wanting more. We're still hungry. Which wouldn't surprise Jesus? Given what he said in this evening's scripture reading, we're hungering and thirsting for the wrong thing or thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we hear him say, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As we reflect upon those words this evening, may the Holy Spirit bring us to hunger and thirst for that that we, by God's grace, might be satisfied now and into all eternity. Matthew 5, verse 6, the fourth of the Beatitudes, Jesus' blessed are statements. Let's consider it's two halves, one at a time, beginning with the first half, in which we hear Jesus proclaim, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fortunate 
are those who hunger and thirst. Let's focus on that to begin with. We know with our minds what that means. What it means to hunger and thirst. But many of the people in Jesus' day understood it from personal experience, as do plenty of other people in the world today. People who live in places or in situations where food and clean water are much harder to come by than they are for most people here in the States. In fact, I I, I listened this past week to a personal account, an interview with a, a young man who grew up in Poland when the Iron Curtain was still down. It wasn't until he and his family made it to the United States that he actually drank water. Until then, it was tea for various reasons. There, there, and even today, there are plenty of situations, plenty of places where food and clean water are hard to come by. Kids, have you ever been hungry or thirsty? Of course you have. We all have. But few, if any of us here, have personally known unrelenting hunger or, and, or life-threatening thirst the way many people in Jesus' world would have. One of the books I've been using in my preaching preparation as we work through Matthew was written by a man who spent 40 years living and teaching in seminaries and Bible institutes around the Middle East. In it, he recounted the one time in his life he nearly died of thirst. As he told the story, while living in the south of Egypt, a group of friends and I traveled deep into the Sahara Desert by camel, which, think to yourself, there's your problem. But as our trek began, the temperature soared to above 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade, and there was no shade. On our way, one goatskin water bag leaked all of its precious contents. With consumption high due to the heat, we ran out of water, and for a day and a half we pressed on while enduring intense thirst. The goal of the excursion was the famous well named Bir Shetun, deep in the desert. Our guide promised us that it was never dry. Ah, but could we survive to reach its life-giving liquid silver? My mouth became completely dry and eating was impossible because swallowing felt like the rubbing of two pieces of sandpaper together. My vision became blurred and the struggle to keep moving became harder with each step. We knew that if the well was dry, our armed guards might well forcibly seize our three baggage camels and ride them back to the valley, leaving the rest of us to die. As I staggered on, my mind turned to this verse and I knew that I had never sought for righteousness with the same single-minded passion that I now gave to the quest for water. Yes, we managed to stagger to the well, and it was full of the wine of God, as water is named by the desert tribesmen in the Middle East. In the process, I learned something of the power of Jesus' language. In a world where water was scarce and travel arduous, his listeners would have known what it meant to hunger and thirst after food and water, and thus could understand what Jesus was saying about an all-consuming passion for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst thirst, Jesus said, very intentionally. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? 
What specifically was Jesus referring to? That might sound like a nitpicky question, but given what Jesus said, you have to admit it's pretty important. So what did Jesus mean by that word righteousness? The best way to answer this is to see how this word is used elsewhere in the New Testament, especially in the gospel according to Matthew. And anyone can do this with a copy of Strong's Concordance or a similar resource, from which we learn that the word translated righteousness here occurs six additional times in the gospel according to Matthew alone. For instance, earlier in Matthew 3, verse 15, right before the baptism of Jesus, we hear Jesus tell John the Baptist, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And to give another example, shortly, soon in Matthew 5, verse 20, we'll hear Jesus declare, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In these and the other four occurrences in Matthew, righteousness refers to right conduct, or more broadly, a life lived the way God requires. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, Jesus said, for that. Those who, in the words of Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Same word. So, that clear. Why would a person do that? What leads a person to seek that, to hunger and thirst for that? For righteousness? The simple answer is the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart. But let's note more specifically that this hungering and thirsting for righteousness is built on or grows out of the three previous Beatitudes. Namely, spirit worked poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, and meekness or humility before God. By nature, sinful men, women, boys, and girls do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. What Jesus told the Jewish religious leaders in John 8, 44 is very much true of all of us by nature. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Yet when the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, and so begins to transform our lives, we are bound to hunger and thirst for righteousness, even if inconsistently. As such, we ought not be too surprised to hear Jesus proclaim those who hunger and thirst for righteousness as blessed. That they are the happy ones, the fortunate ones. Of course they would be. They, they're living now. They've got an appetite. Dead people don't have much of an appetite. But they're living. They are the happy ones, the fortunate ones. And we have yet to hear Jesus' reason for saying so in the second half of the verse. This is just noting what we've heard so far. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beloved congregation, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? 
Do you hunger and thirst for a life lived the way God requires? Whether or not you actually have a life lived the way God requires is a different question. And we'll come to that question when we consider the second half of this beatitude. For now, this is the question. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Some years ago, the famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones observed, I do not know of a better test than anyone that anyone can apply to him himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. Namely, if you or I do not hunger, or thir- hunger and thirst for righteousness, even if weakly and inconsistently, weakly, W-E-A-K, L-Y. If you or I do not, if you and I do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, even if weakly and inconsistently, it calls into question our Christian profession. It almost certainly indicates that we have yet to be born again. Understand that, and if that's the case with you, do not fool yourself into believing, assuming that you are currently a Christian with all the privileges and joys that come with that. You must be born again. As for the bulk of us who are challenged by that question, conversely, because we recognize how weakly and inconsistently we hunger and thirst for righteousness, which I dare say is most of us, Hear Jesus' words as a call to foster the growth of the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to suppressing or quenching it. Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And elsewhere we hear Paul say, Do not quench the Spirit. In particular, we can do that Given what Jesus said in this beatitude, keep in step with the Spirit, we, we, can, we do that, we can do that by doing what we can to develop an appetite, a growing appetite for righteousness, or more broadly, an appetite for holiness. To see and value holiness much as the 17th century pastor Thomas Brooks did, saying, holiness is the greatest dignity that mortal man is capable of. It is, a man, it is man's highest promotion. It is his highest exaltation. There is nothing that lifts a people so high and that makes them so truly famous and glorious as holiness does. Holiness is the image of God, the character of Christ. It is a beam of the divine nature, a spark of glory. It is the life of your lives and the soul of your souls. The problem with us and our neighbors is not so much our desire for happiness, but rather our willingness to settle for pale approximations of glory. As C.S. Lewis once famously observed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Indeed, we hunger and thirst for happiness instead of the righteousness by which we will be reconciled to God and dwell in his presence forevermore. Which, on the heels of that observation, I would remind you of the words of Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Strive to maintain that perspective and the appetite for righteousness that goes with it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To quote Romans 12, especially by regular, deliberate use of the means by which God graciously works in and through us, his word, sacraments, and prayer. And if you're tempted to despair at how hopelessly, weakly, and inconsistently you hunger and thirst for righteousness, remember that according to Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Presumably a reference to the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said. Why? Why are they we blessed? Because it's just plain wonderful to hunger and thirst for righteousness? No, not, not quite. It is wonderful to hunger and thirst for righteousness insofar as it attests to the work of the Spirit within us. But that's not the reason Jesus went on to give in the second half of this evening's verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said, for or because they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Satisfied or filled, filled up, to use the language of the old King James. Satisfied, just like the crowd of 5,000 or more Jesus fed in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. And as proof of how full they all were, Matthew went on to recount that the disciples took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. They could have eaten more. But they were satisfied. They were full. Similarly, and more vividly, we read in Revelation 19, verse 21, of many being slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The words, this is the verse you didn't expect to hear this evening. The word translated gorged there is the same word translated satisfied here in Matthew 5, verse 6. We can almost envision vultures and the likes stuffing themselves so full in the aftermath of that great battle that they could hardly fly away. Can you see the vultures in your minds? They were satisfied. They were full. 
According to Jesus, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed because they shall be filled. How? How will those who hunger and thirst for righteousness be satisfied or filled? Simple. God would satisfy their hunger and thirst. With what? First and foremost, with the righteousness of the one who was speaking to them there on that day. Satisfying them with the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, Romans 3.22. As Paul would say later in 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through faith in the once crucified Son of God, we stand before God declared righteous. In him, God satisfies our hunger and thirst for righteousness. That, however, is only part of the story. Because God also works to sanctify or make holy every man, woman, boy, and girl who trusts in him through Jesus Christ, his son. And even though that process is never finished in this life, he will finish it. We know that from the likes of of 1 John 3, which we read earlier. Remember, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Needless to say, the Bible is clear that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied in and through the very one who here said they would be. Jesus Christ. The one who stood up according to John 7, 37 and 38 and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Beloved congregation, hope in Christ. Hope in the one whose words we've been reflecting upon this evening. Hear his words not so much as an inducement to guilt, conviction perhaps, but not but not so much as an inducement to guilt, but rather as an encouragement to trust. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. And for the record, I didn't make that up. It's someone else's pithy and wonderful observation. But that's the life of a pastor. Beg, borrow, and steal. Just give credit when you steal. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied in and through him. And this evening, Christ reminds and assures us of that through the Lord's Supper as well. Beloved congregation, hear the words of the Apostle Paul concerning the institution of the Lord's Supper. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. From this we understand this passage. From this passage we understand, first of all, that the Lord's Supper is ordained by God through the express command of the Lord Jesus to lift us up to heavenly and invisible things by the earthly and visible things set before us. Second, that Jesus himself is the lively bread with which our souls are fed everlasting life. Therefore, third, in setting forth bread and wine to eat and drink, he confirms and seals up to us our communion with him already now and his promise that we shall be partakers with him in his coming kingdom. In the sacrament, he represents to us and makes plain to our senses his heavenly gifts, including himself, to be received by faith and not by mouth, nor transfusion of substance. By virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit, we, being fed with his flesh and refreshed with his blood, are renewed both to true godliness and immortality. Fourth, that the Lord Jesus gathers us into a visible body so that we are members one of another and made altogether one body of which Jesus Christ is the only head. Fifth, that by the same sacrament the Lord calls us to remember his death and passion, to stir up our hearts to praise his most holy name. And sixth, that all those who come to this holy supper must bring with them their conversion to the Lord by sincere repentance in faith. And in this sacrament receive the seals and confirmation of their faith, yet in no way thinking that their sins are forgiven because they partook of the sacrament. We are forgiven in Christ and in him alone. If you have received and rested in him alone such that your hope is in him and you endeavor to live in a manner pleasing to him, including by publicly joining yourself to his visible body on earth, the church, through baptism and profession of faith, then as a minister of the word, I invite you to come. If, however, you have not received and rested in him alone, reject the call to live in a manner pleasing to him, or refuse, yourself, refuse to join yourself to a local congregation, then I urge you to let the bread and cup pass you today and instead earnestly begin taking the steps necessary for you to come to the table in good conscience the next time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Take seriously not only his warning we heard Paul repeat earlier, but also Jesus' call to all of us, which we heard earlier. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let us pray. 
O God, who by the blood of your dear Son has consecrated for us a new and living way into the holy place, cleanse our minds and hearts, we pray, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that we may receive these your gifts without sin and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.